Welcome, welcome, welcome to everybody's favorite cinema podcast, Look in California, Feeling Minnesota. My name is Mike McCaffrey. I am looking California portion of this program. I am out here in sunny Southern California. I work as a writer and an acting coach and uh, I'm extraordinarily good looking. Now, who's my partner? <laughs> oh, well, I don't know how to follow that up. I'm Barry Anderson. I'm the uh, Feeling Minnesota part of this. It's uh, hot and muggy here today. I'm a working director, uh, sometimes producer, uh, often poorly, uh, poor writer, but uh, do, do a little bit of everything. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I always used to say I was the better looking of the two of us, but you stole my thunder. So apparently I'm the, I'm the straight man to your funny man this day. And we are both just like Fast Eddie Felsen in The Color of Money. <laughs> exactly. We're back, baby. We are oh, back. back. So the podcast had a little, uh, little bump in the road. We had to take a, a break for a while. Barry was incarcerated for looting in Minneapolis. Um, which is not his first arrest for looting, oddly enough. He's, he's sort of a compulsive looter. But no, seriously, Barry was, uh, was busy with a project, so we had to step away from podcasting. But we're back, and we're excited to be back. And we can only assume that all of you listeners out there are equally as excited as we are. So we are here today to talk about a movie that Barry turned me on to. It is called <laughs> The Vast of Night. It is uh, streaming on Amazon Prime. And it is uh, produced by Amazon Studios or distributed by Amazon Studios. Sorry about that. And it is directed by Andrew Patterson. And it stars Sierra McCormick and Jake Horowitz. And the film is basically, um, it's set in the 1950s in New Mexico. And it deals with uh, aliens and it's sort of sci-fi Twilight Zone episode sort of thing. Um, and so we're going to talk about that one. And go, I'm going to turn it over to Barry Anderson right now to see what Barry thinks of this movie. So a actor that I worked with turned me on to this movie and he told me nothing about it. He's like, you just must go watch this movie. He's like, as an indie filmmaker, you'll appreciate it, which is usually code for it's terrible, but not as terrible as it should have been. Uh, so I, I dragged my feet for a while uh, uh, getting to it. And then I, I, I watched it and... I was pleasantly surprised, not because it wasn't awful, but it had elements to some previous films and some filmmakers that have turned out to be pretty doggone prolific. And I'm wondering if we're seeing kind of the early stages of a couple careers being launched by this little movie that nobody's heard about. So I thought it would be something appropriate to talk about on our podcast. Uh, I don't think it's a perfect movie, uh, but if you looked up the director, I think it says it, Alex, what is it? Andrew Patterson. Andrew Patterson. That's it. <laughs> that is his, yeah. that's everything. He, he, he's, and he's he was done on it. It was writer, director, editor. I mean, he, yeah. he was the He's author. done commercials and, and worked with uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, shooting promos and stuff like that, which you know quite a bit about. I do. Um, and so, yeah, so that's his thing. And, and I came to this movie through you and knew nothing about it. You just said, oh, you should check it out. Um, and I, it took me a while to get to it yeah, uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, <laughs> Mostly because least of which, <laughs> a few of our podcasts where I recommended things you hated me for. So, uh. <laughs> no, no, no. It mostly has to do with you know, having a five-year-old and yeah. being in quarantine. So uh, you just don't have time. But um, So I watched it and I watched it uh, yesterday. Um, yeah, so what did you think of the movie, Barry? So, 
That's a good question. I've I've been thinking a lot about how to describe it. And it's when you talk to filmmakers that are looking for something different, it's easy to convince them. But if you took someone like my parents, you know, who are, you know, aren't willing to look at things just because they're you know unique. Um, I don't exactly know how to describe the movie. I know it's been described as a little bit like a Twilight Zone, you know, deals with aliens, but really it's like, it's kind of like some of the great sci-fi concepts where you have a bigger concept, but it's really, really, really small in scale. And in this case, it's in a small town and it's the girl who works the switchboard and the guy that runs the local kind of school radio program. And they start getting information and callers that start kind of hinting at this bigger conspiracy of aliens might be amongst us and they're trying not to break you know the 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 various uh i don't know if it's fcc laws or whatever but it's really kind of a talking you know it's a talking Mm -hmm. film it's just all talking and what i love is that there's three elements to it that really stuck with me that i think drive a lot of people crazy but i love the first one especially in the first maybe half hour of the movie it reminded me a little bit of Robert Altman and the fact that there was a ton of dialogue overlapping. So I think for a lot of people, it's really difficult because it's hard to focus on what am I supposed to be listening to? And it's almost like noise, like you'd be thinking about in space. Like you just throw out a bunch of radio waves. How do you kind of pick and choose? And it was filmed in such a way where you weren't sure kind of who was the star, what's the purpose, what's going on. So it, it, it set the bar kind of high for your average audience in terms of, you know, accessing it, knowing what it's about and willing to stick with it. And by about the time, I think some people would kind of throw up their arms and be like, I don't, I don't get this movie. It drops down to those two main characters, which drive the latter part of the film. And I think that's where it shines the most. And that's when it switched from being more rough. They had a lot of really nice kind of oneers and very, you know, very orchestrated shots that I mean, are extremely difficult to pull off. And I'd love to know more how they did it because it wasn't just the one-off shot. It was so much blocking in business by like dozens and dozens of people over the course of like five or six buildings and thinking how everybody has to be in the right place at the right time for that shot to work. Um, especially from a, a younger director, I thought was you know really, really well done. But when it moves into more kind of the two person kind of rest of the movie, it reminded me a lot of Darren Aronofsky's first film, um, uh, Pi. Pi, yeah. He, he has, from what I can tell, it's a small sample size, but he, he seems to understand, the director that is, seems to understand the visual language of film really well. Because mm-hmm. A, it could get really boring really quick with just quick cuts or stagnant cuts of these people talking. And oftentimes what inexperienced or, or um, less craft-minded directors they would just add shake and add a lot of different angles and just kind of cut for cut's sake but he has a certain rhythm and he'll inverse shots and he'll kind of have a pacing to it almost like it's musical it's a little bit like edgar wright in some of his stuff where there's it's it's intentional of what's going on and i find that sort of control this early in someone's career one of those things like i like if i was a studio boss hundred percent he'd be in my office being like, oh yeah, what do you you have? I want to know what's next because he's probably going to make some missteps, but he's got, clearly he has the skills that I would look for and trust in a director. And I just think it's so fun to watch early films. Like he's done other stuff. It's not like he, you know, he's an an older gentleman. You know, it's not like he's, you know, 19 years old. So he's, he's been working on his craft, but I mean, this was a, this was a pretty good, you know, double or triple out of the gate. So I'm, I'm really excited to see where, where he goes from here. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. It's interesting. The budget for this thing was $700,000, um, which, you know, is, is nothing to, for an indie filmmaker just put something together is, is not nothing. Um, but boy, he stretches that money out. Yes, he does. I mean, that, the set, the, the town they shoot in is perfect. It is perfect. And it's almost like, um, the last picture show, um, which, uh, you know, Bogdanovich and that sort of, and it's set in the fifties and it's New Mexico. And so you're immediately thrust into this world and everything that comes with it. Yes. And they do that intentionally. So there are technical issues immediately as the movie begins in the, in that world, because you realize that, well, back then things were different. Yeah. Right. That, that like, we didn't have the free flowing communication that we have today. And what happens with that uh, tapping into that immediately in the, in the story is, and they do it quite, it's quite clever actually of like a woman comes, a, a bunch of people say, Oh, Hey, to the main character. Um, oh, Hey, you, they want you downstairs. Yeah. Who wants me downstairs? Oh, this person wants you downstairs. Oh, okay. And then finally you get around to this woman who's like, Hey, we need you downstairs. He's like, okay, why do you need me? And they come down there and they come down there because apparently, uh, or the old story that a rat bit a, uh, a wire, right? Which yep. is perfect symbolism. And then they get down there and it's like, oh no, we didn't want you down here. We wanted this other guy down here. Yeah. <laughs> well, what did you say for me to come down? I thought you were somebody else. And it's just like, it's this miscommunication because there's this isolation from, I mean, just in hell, in, in our lifetimes, I, I didn't get, you know, a, a cell phone until like 2004, I think. I, I, I didn't have one. And like, just connecting with people. Yeah. How do you do, how did you do that? And of course, there's a whole generation who have no idea what that was like or what it was like to have three TV channels and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So it's really creative and, and they do that. And the opening sequence of going into the, from the parking lot into the gym and the whole thing. Wow. I mean, this director has, he is a confident guy. <laughs> yes, he has. He's got a brass, a brass pair. He does, man. And, what, what, and, and what's incredible about the shot. I mean, the parts that really stick out is he goes in and out of that gym. And so when the frame comes up, the basketball team is on the proper side of their court properly yep. set up to run and make the shot both yeah. times in and out that's not mentioning any of the acting the blocking the camera handoffs the going up into the stands and down yeah i mean it's like i could just see him in my mind this is what i think every time i've had a crazy idea like i look at my sound guy he wants to punch me in the face because it makes his job hard the dp's like where am i going to hide my lights the actors are like wait what do you want me to do and someone's got to come yeah. in you got to duck under here come on and like literally every department hated him. The art department hated him. The cinematographers hated him. The grips hated him. Sound hated him. The actors hated him. And he's like, I'm going to do this. And then he keeps talking. Like he's already got everybody yeah. in the crew mad. And he's like, and then we're going to keep going. And then we're going to keep going. And we're going to keep going. And we're going to keep going. And then they're all eventually had to say, all right, let's do this and make it work. And it's like, wow. Like, again, that's, you, you can't be a shy or timid person to pull that off. And then you got to have good people backing you up to make it all work. And, and I think they did a phenomenal job. Yeah. You know, I would say the one issue I had with that opening sequence was the sound. 
Yes. Um, and, and actually, sound wouldn't be the right thing, but uh, the dialogue. It, it's not clear enough. And I think, in, in, a, in a sense, it draws you in. But then... It, it, lasts, think, it lasts too long for it being as muddled as it was. Yeah, and another issue is, is that that character has a cigarette in his mouth. Yes. And so he's not, as an actor, I get why he's doing that. But what ends up happening is that uh, the language gets muffled. And it's already muffled because of the, the function of how you're trying to do the sound for a scene as elaborate as that. Um, so that was one issue I had with it. But it is pretty, I, I mean, you and I uh, worked on a project recently where we wanted to do this sort of Altman-esque uh, maneuver. And it was next to impossible, Yes. right? For, for all of those reasons. And, and even that was in a contained setting, right? right? So it makes it so, it's so difficult. And it's funny because I, I was watching the movie and I, I knew nothing about it. And I, it opened and I was like, wow, this is an impressive uh, sort of flex by this director right off the bat, man. Um, but the story itself takes a little while to get going. Yes, it does. And it almost takes too long. Yep. I would say maybe it's about uh, five minutes too long in that process. Um, but once it gets going, it's great. And then even... Um, even in, in waiting for that, even in the setup for it, it's so well put together that I wasn't agitated by that. I was just like, okay, well, is anything going to happen? Like, what's, what's the story here? Um, and what it really becomes, um, and the whole thing could be done this way, by the way, it's a stage play. It's a stage play that is exquisitely shot by a really ballsy director. Yep. And they turn this town, this little, I, 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 don't, I think they shot it in Texas, this little Texas town, they just take this thing over and it is amazing what they do with it. <laughs> and I, it, it's just fantastic what they do. And to me, that's, that's the sign of somebody who gets it. Like he didn't cheat on any of that stuff. And like there's, there are numerous extended camera movements that are really well done. And there are numerous, he, 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 so he does one take where, and I'm sure there's a bit of, of uh, movie magic in this, but he does one take where he basically goes through the entire town with the yes. camera. And it, 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 it's very effective, it works very well. But he balances that by having a really extended take where the camera slightly moves in and out a little bit, but it's just holding on a girl talking she, she's the switchboard operator talking on the switchboard and you don't hear what the other person's saying yes so think about that right well, that, I, I mean that is crazy and it works in my opinion that's one of the most one of the tensest scenes in the yes. movie it draws you in and the actress who is uh sierra mccormick i've never heard of her um she's really great in that scene i think both her and the lead actor are both those are kind of star making roles where they're going to get noticed and get other work off this because they were both. Yeah. I mean, you needed a lot of gravitas and a lot of, you know, you needed a lot of that X factor that is sometimes hard to find in you yeah. know, unknown talent. And I mean, she was a spitfire without being over the top. She still yep. seemed like she was young and not quite fully formed as a woman. And 
fully and, fully embraces and fits in the 1950s aesthetic and correct. not just how she looks but her demeanor and her her sort of philosophy her outlook on life like she she's real she's a real person from that era and to me that was what i really liked is that they allowed the characters to have flaws and you understood them and you felt like you knew them or that they felt authentic and i feel like nowadays people keep writing roles where actors are like almost like mini superheroes in the movie mm -hmm. and this was just this was your average joe average jane middle america's 1950 where they weren't in it sometimes when you go back in time now and we try to do a period piece people make it almost pollyanna like and this was as like i mean it felt like a day in high school you know when i was in high school when you're just being asked to do dumb things and you're annoyed by it and you're kind of running yeah. from point being you don't know everybody and your, your brain's not connected it was it was a slice where you're like i get i've been there i can identify with that and i think both in the story the direction and then the actors they they allowed the audience in they allowed you to connect and not be like oh okay well he's a genius you know engineer that does all this stuff and she's like superwoman that's doing 57 things and you know none of that was in there it was just Here's them struggling with their own little parts and, you know, playing little things. But like you said, when she was operating that switchboard, A, the idea that you're going to say, I'm going to have a scene that long, right. where it's just an unknown actress saying parts of the conversation that you never really can close the gap on. It's not like as right. you listen to it, you're like, oh, now I know what's going on. You just have to be okay with, I don't know what's going on, but I'm getting to know her and what she's doing. And this is setting up something later. And I think especially as a first time filmmaker, that is a huge risk. Like yeah. you gotta be like, that's where it kind of like in the edit room, your editor's like, can we cut this whole scene? Cause none of this makes sense. <laughs> and I've been in those edit rooms where the editor's like, this yeah. is, as a director, you need to cut this out. This can't stand. And sometimes they're right. And sometimes you gotta stand on your, on your, on your laurels and say, no, this is, trust me, just trust well, me. It's, it's, this, this guy, Patterson, the director, what I appreciate about him and, and what I dislike about most movies this guy has a vision. Yes. And as you know, uh, as both of us know, we've been in positions where we've tried to do something. We have a vision. We try and actualize it in the world. And you run into that. You run into the editor who is like, nah, we got to cut this. Or the sound guy's like, nah, it's just too difficult. It's hard to it's realize hard. these visions yes. because other people are, you know, no offense to anybody, but like they don't have vision or right. they don't share your vision or they're not, they don't buy in. Right. And that's a big part of it is that like a lot of people just want to do their little thing and then get the hell out, get their money and get be, be done with it. Whereas like, if you have a vision, you have to convince people to go with it. And this guy has a vision and it's really impressive to behold. And what I really liked about it, besides his sort of his, his confident direction, of turning a stage play into a really interesting visual uh, experience was the writing of it is really fascinating because he doesn't give anything away. And, and what I mean by that is like, he treats the audience as if they just stumbled upon this thing. Yes. He doesn't feel like he needs to explain too much, especially in the beginning. Like there's little hints of things dropped where it's like, oh, this is sort of her life. Oh, like, oh, you're going to the game tonight? And she says, oh, I have to work. And the person who asked the question gives a knowing nod and, and says, oh, oh, that's right. 
because there's a backstory we don't know about, but it's implied. Yeah. And everything is implied like that. And it's really great. And even between the lead characters, it's implied, oh, that, that guy working at the radio station, oh, he's cute. And other people imply to the girl, like, oh, is that him? It's like, nobody says like, oh, she has a crush on him. Correct. Or it's just like, oh, it's implied. And it's, I just love that. And it, and it treats the audience with a respect that few films do nowadays. I mean, God knows. It's, I mean, everything's spelled out. I think this is the sort of film, this is the sort of film that died, you know, 10, 15 years ago that, you know, an auteur director would have done this, you know, with real stars for, you know, 10, 20, $30 million. And it would have been right. an adult film. And, you know, these don't get made anymore. And I think what's great is story structure wise, he did the right thing. He drops you in, in the middle of what's happening. But unlike a lot of movies now where you're like, okay, is there an explosion? Does someone die? Does a car go off the road and you're unraveling? It's just like, no, this, this town has been building for you know decades and we're going to drop you in now. And so it's a slower initial burn, which we're not used to as an, an audience, but like it follows a story structure because all those little bits are there. Everybody's yeah. connected. Everybody knows something about that. And as it kind of spins itself out, you understand. And I think it's so great that everybody does talk about the, the lead star as being, oh, the cute one that works there. And like, I was kind of waiting for that scene where they yeah. would feed you that she's always had a crush on him or whatnot, but it never happens. There's a kind of a nice chemistry, but you're not exactly sure how far apart they are in age. Right, so yeah. Like positive if it's appropriate. Like, is he 22 and she's 16? That's not okay. Or is he like 18 and she's 16? Where it's like, you know, right. how, how close is this? And, and it was just great because again, neither of them, played it overly puppy eyes or anything they just both kind of yelled at each other need to get stuff done but also then trusted and relied on each other that both of them had to come through for the story to play out so both had their power and their weakness and it just it it just was so organic it was just so nice it was just like I, i i really appreciate what's happening here it's really just such an example of a filmmaker who a confident filmmaker who has skill and craft and just does it and just commits to what he's doing and lets the story and everything just go and unfold. And there's something, it's so interesting because again, I I had no idea about, I had no idea it was a science fiction film. And the film opens and, and it's an interesting, I'm not sure it works, the idea that it's this TV show, he, he opens up. Yeah. Um, in the 1950s in a living room focusing on a TV that comes on and it's basically a, a Twilight Zone episode. The, sh- the show is called, I think, Paradox Theater. Um, and it, so it starts playing on the TV screen and then the camera jumps into the TV and it's, you're in real life. And then it, it goes back and forth a bit. I don't know if that works to me, for me, I, but- I, don't, I, w- I would say more, more apt that whether it worked or not is was it necessary? I don't think yeah, it's yeah. necessary. And I think, I I think agree. It's the sort of thing that if you had cut that out, you would have lost nothing and you would right. have, you would have met you would have made it a little bit more, you know, with with the ending and whatnot being a little bit more up in the air, you would have left the whole thing up in the air. I think that first part almost tries to put itself in a box a little too quickly and I don't think I think you could have lost that part. I think and and I certainly could be wrong. I think part of the reason why it's there is it's almost a crutch to break up the first 35 minutes yeah. of setting things up. 
so that at least it feels like you're stepping back and then you get back into the movie. So you step back to TV and then you're back into film. So I think that that's maybe why that's happening. But I agree with you. I think if you take that out, I actually think it works in, if it's, if it's removed, it, it, it works in, in bringing you in deeper into that story and not escaping. Because what's great about the second half of the movie is none of that is there. Correct. And you are completely engrossed in what's happening. At least I was. I, I'm telling like, you what, like, I agree with you. The first part is the hard part to get through because we're not used to that sort of filmmaking. Yeah, just the pacing. But once the two of those two get together and it's almost like a two-person play, yeah. I was literally riveted. To, yeah. like, I, I'm like, and they're running. And what I also love is that she never wanted to get in the car. Runs. Yes, and, and the, running and everywhere. Me, and it's like, it, it added so much. And then he'd like, go talk to her through the window. Like all this stuff that blocking wise was not easy to execute, but it, it, it created that rhythm again. His rhythm is spot on, man. Yeah. It, just, it just feels alive. It feels crisp. It feels like it's moving. Where I think a lot of this could just feel very confusing. I think in a lesser director, this movie would have just been confused and you would have oh, no idea. Oh, what's yeah. going on. And you could totally see this movie in the hands of... of someone with either lesser skill or, or lesser testicular fortitude yeah. um, that this is just a complete forgettable throwaway nothing you know direct to video sort of but here, here's the other part that you're talking about her running everywhere um, which I really loved that and why I loved it and why I love the character and how it's created and, and how it fits in the plot is that there's always the fear or the threat that she's just being overly dramatic. Yeah. And with him, there's always the fear that he's just this sort of conspiratorial disc jockey, right? That yeah. he, and so the two of them, you think like, eh, it's very possible this is just a, a War of the Worlds, you know, the Orson Welles radio play that gets out of control sort of thing. And I just think that's really effective and it's really well done. And actually, you watch them go through, the guy more than, than the girl, go through various stages of belief and disbelief that he does really well. Particularly when they meet the old woman, which I don't think we should get into any of that stuff just because I don't want to yeah, I, I give, think give away spoilers. We, prob we probably should have stated in the beginning it's almost part of the joy of this is just kind of not knowing a lot about it. Yeah. So I, I definitely think that we don't get into a lot of these spoilers. Um, you know, if you, if we want to talk in abstract things that we like about the scene, I think we can, but I definitely don't want to, I do yeah. want to leave some, some ability for people to access this, like with fresh eyes. I, what I, and, and what I'll say about that scene, and this is all I will say about it is that what's great from an acting perspective and a writing perspective is the, the disc jockey character goes into that scene with one expectation and changes in the scene to a different expectation where it's like, uh, okay, this is shifted. And that's, most writers fail to do that. Most actors, God knows, fail to do that, that they just, they think like, oh, I'm gonna hit my marks and do this and uh, here's my moment to shine. And it's like, no, you have to go in with a certain expectation and that expectation cannot be met. That's the idea. That's every scene an actor's in. 
it, they're not supposed to have their expectation met. That's how it works. That's what makes drama great um, or acting anyway. But that's what I loved about it. And that's what I loved about the two of them. These two actors just were so good. And I don't know if they're great actors, but he gets the most out of them, which again, speaks to his talent as a director. Um, but boy, it's, it's, and here's the other thing that I just loved about this movie. Because we're so used to in, in our technical society with like our phones on us all the time and all this sort of stuff. Like, and they, they touch upon that in the movie a little bit, just talking about the, what the future could hold. And, but living in rural New Mexico in the 1950s, you are so isolated and so distant from everyone, even your neighbors. And so that's why the girl runs everywhere, right? Because she, that's how you get information from one place to the next or find out what's happening. And the other part is, is that New Mexico in 1950 was not that far from Apache raids, right? <laughs> of like people disappearing, things like that. So I think that's just really, really well done. And I, I just love how he's able to uh, create that sense of isolation and desolation um, in the 50s. So that, that, that's... That's my rant. Uh, yeah, I don't know how to follow up on that. Other than one of the things I did love is when people were talking about things that they were maybe seeing or not seeing in the town. You would think being in rural New Mexico, you just walk out and look up. Right. And wherever they were, you could never see it. You had to go somewhere else to see it. So like, even when there was information, then it was like, oh, I got to go somewhere else to now like have that you know, come to life or validate or whatever. And so it was like, it was a game of operator, both in terms of words and then right. in terms of physical space, which made it, which made the movie move along in a very interesting pattern that you don't get now. Because if this movie was made now, I'd be like, flip on the TV, go to a Google webpage. Right, like, you right. know, like the information would be quicker and they could access, but you didn't have any of that urgency to go verify in the same way that you have when someone's running or you have to drive somewhere or like a whole town is on this side of the thing and you're on the other side and how do I go? You know, I, I just think that it, it was just, oh, it was just, it was refreshing. The whole movie yeah. was just a refreshing, refreshing storytelling. It works. It's like this tried and true tactics that make films work is all there, but it's like, oh, <laughs> this is why people actually hire good directors. Okay. I, yeah. I remember now. And it's what, what was interesting to me was uh, he does something in the latter part of the film, um, which I won't mention, just uh, I don't want to give things away, but it heightens the tension dramatically. And it, it's really interesting because I usually find this technique to be a little off-putting, but he does it very, very well. And it's a major shift, but it's done in such a subtle way that yeah, most people don't pick it up, but I'm not going to tell people what it is. Um, but they, if they look back, they'll notice and they'll be like, oh, wow, yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, it's, this is just a really good movie. And it's not, look, it's not the greatest movie in the world. Nope. Again, the first half hour, uh, the pacing is really, really slow. Um, and it may be too much for people, might be a bit impenetrable, but 
I would just say stick with it and um, enjoy enjoy the ride, enjoy seeing this sort of skill highlighted with this little money, just yeah. putting this thing together. I mean, God damn. I, was re- I just read about this just now. So in the basketball court, they picked this town because it, everything fit, like the gym most of all fit. But they had to take the three-point line off because, of course, in the 50s, they didn't have the three-point line. But it cost $20,000 to take the three-point line off because they have to take out parts of the floor to do that because it's, like, embedded in the floor. Um, And I was like, God damn, can you imagine having a $700,000 budget and just pulling your hair out because you have to spend (laughs) $20,000 changing the three-point line that, like, nobody's going to see? And I was was thinking, like, God, couldn't you you just take that out and post or something? I think think I would have talked to my VFX artist and been like, can you do this for less than 20K? Because if so... Just just put down a, a... a green stripe where the three-point line is yeah. and just have somebody put something in wow yeah good times good times so um i think we agree we both enjoyed this movie a great deal yeah i i, I it, especially during quarantine if you're kind of going through and you're going deep in your list or you're re-watching stuff this is one of those ones that i think you'll enjoy enough to watch the first time and I do think we're going to hear more from the director. So this could be in teen, 10 years from now. You're like, oh, yeah, I remember seeing his first movie during that awful year 2020. <laughs> we're locked in our houses. <laughs> and, like, that's where I discovered him. So, it'd be, you know, people talk about, like, when they found a band or when they found, like, someone, you know, that they liked. And I feel like that's who, what we found mm-hmm. in watching this movie. Yeah, it's, again, you know, it's, it's not going to change your life. But it, it, it is, um, it's just a nice little movie. It and it, it's just really well executed. And, you know, I, I had no expectations for it and went into it and, and uh, came out of it quite pleased <laughs> to have found it. And especially anybody who works in the industry, um, this is the movie to watch. Yes. Because I think anybody who's ever worked on a movie is going to watch this thing and go, oh, my God. <laughs> like, how did you do that? And not like... Uh, you, you know, trip over the, the craft services table while you're shooting this scene because everything's so elaborate. It's just just really, really cool to see. So uh, thank you for uh, recommending it, Barry. Well done. Yeah. Well, I, I will thank, I will thank my, my friend that recommended it to, to us. It's, uh, it's nice when you got people that can find some un, uncut gems that you can watch. Yeah, uncut gems. I haven't seen that yet, but uh, we'll... <laughs> We'll get on the Adam Maybe Sandler. in a future episode. Yeah, we were foreshadowing. <laughs> yes, maybe. All right. So any any last words on uh, the Basket Night? No, I think I think see it, you know, and uh and maybe just pass it around. You know, I I don't know how the streaming deals work for indie filmmakers, but my guess is is that the more people watch it, uh, you know, the 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 actual creators might make a few more bucks. So uh pass it around, tell people to watch it. If you have Amazon Prime, it's free. Yeah, it's free on Amazon Prime, so check it out. Uh, All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in to Looking California Field, Minnesota. Uh, We hope to see you next time. And in between time, go check out The Vast of Night. All right, gang, we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Cheers.